0: Welcome to the My Psychology podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Andy Pomerantz and I'm a psychology professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. I also happen to be the author of the My Psychology textbook from Macmillan Learning. In each episode of this podcast, instructors from various colleges and universities join me to talk about the most important and most interesting parts of the chapter to help you understand and appreciate them. As we do, we will share some stories about our own experiences with concepts from the chapter from inside or outside of the classroom. Okay, today we're gonna be talking about chapter one. Uh, That is the introductory chapter in this introductory psych uh, textbook. The chapter is called The Science of Psychology, and I've got two guests with me. I've got Dr. Ava Selly. She is a principal lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. Hi, Ava.
1: Hi, Andy.
0: Thanks for being with us. And we have Dr. Anita Tam, who is a lecturer at Clemson University in South Carolina and also an instructor at Tri-County Technical College in South Carolina. Hi, Anita.
2: Hi, Andy. Hi, Ava.
0: Thanks to both of you for being with us. So here's a quick summary of Chapter 1, The Science of Psychology. It starts by defining what psychology is and, importantly, what it is not. Then it covers the many subfields within psychology, including all of the applied specializations and basic research specializations. Next, it provides an overview of the evolution of psychology, psychology then and now, including a description of the major perspectives that have influenced the field at various points in time. Finally, it delves into why and how psychology is a science, including different kinds of scientific research that psychologists conduct, like descriptive, correlational, and experimental research, and the process by which psychologists share the results of their research. So um Ava I'll start with you what's what's an important concept in chapter 1 that you'd like to highlight
1: This is such an important jam-packed chapter it really sort of brings students into the field of psychology and there's just so much important stuff in terms of understanding what psychology is. I think probably the most important aspect actually comes later in the chapter, which is the importance of research. And the reason I sort of want to start there is because so many students come into a psychology classroom not really knowing what psychology is.
0: It's crucial, in my opinion, that students know from the very beginning that it that we're, we're grounded in research and that we're not just practice either. I I think a lot of students just sort of, when they think psychology, they think psychologist, and then they think sort of a practicing psychologist, a, a, usually a therapist in private practice or something. So they need to know it's more than, it's more than just that, and there's a whole world of, of empirical research that psychologists do.
1: Absolutely. And you mentioned two really important points. One has to do with the fact that, you know, psychology is not just sort of this sort of vague knowledge that we have. I remember when I started studying psychology, I come from an immigrant family. I'm the first one in my family to go to college. You know, my dad had a sixth grade education. He was a baker. And he didn't think I was going to go to college because what do you go to college for? I mean, he didn't have the types of ambitions that a lot of immigrant parents had. My dad wanted me to take over the bakery. So when I ended up in grad school, he couldn't quite wrap my mind around what it was I was studying. And when I told him I was studying psychology, he just kind of rolled his eyes and he didn't really sort of understand what that was. And you mentioned another point, which is that not all psychology is clinical psychologists. This is so big to understand to communicate to students that there is so much that they're going to learn in this semester and that every single chapter is essentially a major area.
2: Yeah, well, first I wanted to comment on Ava's personal take on this chapter. And clearly we're connected because I too come from an immigrant family. And I experienced some of the the same things. And I remember growing up, you know, our family dentist was Chinese American. And so that's where I went growing up. But he always just talked with my parents all the time when we were there. And I'd be drooling and he wasn't paying attention. He was just having conversations with my parents. And so when I was old enough to make my own decision as to which dentist to go to. I didn't go to him anymore. (laughs) But when I was in graduate school for psychology, uh, with no dental insurance, I needed to see a dentist and went back to him because he was an old family friend. And so he asked me, he said, you know, I hear you're, um, you know, in graduate school now, what are you studying? And I said, industrial organizational psychology all he heard was psychology. And he started telling me every single problem he had ever had. (laughs) So clearly, there are misconceptions about what psychology entails. And I too agree, this chapter is so incredibly important, which is probably why I spend the most time on this chapter.
0: Um, Anita, were there any any topics in chapter one that you wanted to highlight?
2: I wanted to talk about how I start this semester and start this chapter. I actually put my students into groups right off the bat. So they build a sense of community in the classroom. And I assign them to the different theoretical perspectives, you know, the different old school psychologies and even the new school psychologies. And I have them, you know, introduce. It's a very short um, five minute max skit where they have to introduce the topic to uh, talk about what each of these different perspectives focus on, and present some important or memorable, at least a very memorable way of understanding and highlighting the the different theoretical perspectives. So they might be in groups like about psychoanalysis, uh, behaviorism, humanism, multiculturalism, evolutionary psychology, cognitive psych, the neuroscience, and then at the very end, we talk about how they all culminate, come together with the biopsychosocial theory and i think that's really an important part of my my class just to set the stage first of all that it, you know we're going to be interacting with one another in the classroom but also to show that there are different theoretical perspectives and each of them are important in explaining why and how we think and feel and, and behave the ways that, in ways that we do.
0: And those kinds of things, I think, is really essential. And Anita, that that technique that you were describing about how you, how you teach at the beginning of this semester, I think it's great. And it's, I especially think the end part is great, where they like come together mm-hmm. and integrate the... Uh, you were saying like sort of talk about how the biopsychosocial approach can... Can mm-hmm. be one way of kind of integrating them all or accounting oh, yeah. for them all in some ways, right?
2: Right, and mm-hmm. while they're, uh, you know, we mentioned some of the old school uh, theories like psychoanalysis and behaviorism, and a lot of students uh, they might reject some of you know, the, what they've heard about Freud and Watson and Skinner, but then it comes to life in their you know, in their sure. everyday routines and you know, experiences. All I have to do is say, well, who here has ever had a dream? And you wake up from it and you wonder, oh, my gosh, what did that dream mean? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's nodding. And they and I say, well, you know, there's a little bit of Freud for you right there. Yep. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, we, you know, I say and we're, we're, in this class, we're also going to be talking about learning. You know, who here has ever been or who here has ever done anything wrong growing up? And was disciplined or punished. And everyone just kind of looks a little ashamed, a little and some chuckle. Uh, you know, and when you were punished, you know, you may or may not have learned from that. Well, that was behaviorism right there. And so yeah. to, for them to realize that this is something they experience every day, you know, old school and new school psychology, uh, really brings everything to life for them in that biopsychosocial theory approach. Yeah.
0: And that biopsychosocial theory at, at the end of that exercise that you're describing, it just kind of shows that there are all these competing theories in psychology, but it's not like you have to pick one and abandon all the others. There's, right. there, there's, there are ways of, of sort of appreciating what is what is good or what is valid or what is worthwhile in these theories and, and blending them, integrating them. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a, you don't have to be all in with one theory and, and disregard all the others. You can, you can find ways to, to put them together.
2: Students often want answers. They want to know, well, why does someone have depression? Well, the answer depends. So there isn't some ambiguity. It depends on which perspective a psychologist is taking it. Are they taking a psychoanalytic view? Are they taking a behaviorist view? Are they taking a humanistic or cognitive view? And to be able to tolerate a little bit of ambiguity is going to take students so much further.
0: That's something you have to be able to do to some extent.
2: Yeah, because life is complex, and so, and it, you know, and psychology is about how we approach life, and psychology is complex, so ultimately it does come back to the research.
0: Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we will continue talking about Chapter 1, The Science of Psychology, from the My Psychology textbook. The My Psychology Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad from Macmillan Learning. When I wrote My Psychology, I wanted students to maximize their connection to the science of psychology, and Launchpad does just that. It's the one place where you can find the full ebook of My Psychology, features like My Take videos, chapter apps, and Show Me More links, and Macmillan's full library of resources, including videos, flashcards, concept practice activities, and more. Best of all, Launchpad includes the Learning Curve adaptive quizzing system designed based on cognitive research to improve your learning and help you retain information over time. In addition, the Learning Curve algorithm chooses questions based on your performance, delivering a quiz that is unique to you. If you aren't using Launchpad already, you can sign up for a free trial right now. That's right. You can get 21 days of free access right now by visiting launchpadworks.com and searching for My Psychology. That's launchpadworks.com. Sign up now for your 21 days of free access and start studying with the Learning Curve Adaptive Quizzing System. Welcome back. Uh, We are here discussing chapter one, the Science of Psychology chapter from the My Psychology textbook. Uh, I'm Andy Pomerantz, and I'm the author of the My Psychology textbook, and I'm a professor of psychology at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. And joining me today are Dr. Ava Selly, who is a principal lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University, and Dr. Anita Tam, who is an instructor at Tri-County Technical College and a lecturer at Clemson University, both in South Carolina. So another topic uh, within Chapter 1 that I'd like to highlight is the section, it's toward the end of Chapter 1, on how psychologists share their research results. (laughs) So we've been talking about research and how important it is to the field of psychology and how much research psychologists collectively perform. I want to make sure that students know that when psychologists conduct a study, they don't just post their results they don't just like run a study and then just whatever however the study was done or whatever results they get they just sort of post them on a website or just like put them out there especially today's generation of students may mistakenly presume that it's that easy to sort of put your results out there you just you just post them you just put them in in, on the internet in some form and they're out there for people to see I want to make sure that students realize there is a peer review process. In other words, it can't be published as an article in a journal or it can't be presented as a conference unless they submit their work to a peer review process. They have to essentially write up what the research that they've done and show a a draft of that write up to experts in the field, people who usually, these are usually people who have published research in that area, have some expertise in that area. And they essentially read it over and evaluate the quality of it and decide whether that research is worthy of being of being shared with with others in the in the field. There's a, a sort of a gatekeeper function that the peer review process performs, such that it's good quality research that makes it out there for people to read and to and to hear about
1: scientists, when they talk to each other, they talk about, well, you know, is it in a peer-reviewed journal? Because as Andy described, there's this peer-review process, but guess what? there are, in fact, places where you can just publish whatever you want. You can publish in, and they they look like real journals, um, <laughs> but they're not peer-reviewed. And knowing the difference, so that researchers do know the difference, and they look for peer-reviewed, reputable journals, it's the equivalence of sort of getting on the internet and knowing where you got your information. You know, is this a reliable source?
2: Yeah. And I see this uh, publication process as is- almost another step in the scientific method for psychology and other sciences, um, that in the scientific method, it's not just ending with analyzing the data and drawing conclusions. It's also about reporting your findings and evaluating those conclusions. And so that publication process and the peer review allows for other experts in the field to really evaluate what you did, how you did it in your study. Did you follow sound's research methods in order Order to explore uh, and scrutinize the the research question that you have, did you use the right research design uh, that's the most suitable in order to answering that question of interest and so I think it's a really important step to to even you know, look and examine whether the the scientific method was was followed and therefore evaluate whether those conclusions that are drawn are even valid
0: that's a great point and and i'm I'm glad that we're also talking about those illegitimate journals and conferences and those kinds of things, the ones that are not peer-reviewed. Just to clarify what I was describing before, a legitimate, respected journal or conference or any other way of of getting research out there is going to feature this peer-review process. But increasingly, especially in recent years, there are these, you know, sort of much more sort of questionable, kind of like sham, not legit places where people can publish their research. And it is super important for students to be able to discern
1: Right, one right, from the right.
0: other, to think critically, like, wait, is this legit? Meaning like, is it reliable? Is it valid? Did they did the researchers follow the scientific method in an appropriate way? You
2: know, a lot of the students, uh, when they read research or they even come across a headline, they say, well, no, I, that doesn't, I, I don't experience that. That doesn't describe me. And they almost have this gut reaction of wanting to discount that entire study. And I I say, well, scale it back. Hold on. (laughs) Don't jump to conclusions yet. You have to remember that psychology is about generalities and averages, you know, and that the more we can understand the universal, how – something might apply to most people, then the better we can understand the variations and the,
1: the uniquenesses that that occur as well. And what's great about that point, Anita, is that, that it really leads really cleanly into some of the thinking errors that we have, mm-hmm. right? Is oh, that absolutely. we do yeah. we do discount things because well, well, I didn't experience it. So mm-hmm. it must, you know, we essentially have this, you know, belief perseverance about something that happened to us. And we ignore the facts because, well we think we should be you know i call it the n of one right n in psychology represents our sample size and we are just one person and we can't generalize from one just one person but that's one of those thinking errors if it's not true about me then it's not true in general and that's 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 a fallacy yeah or and vice versa well if it happens to me well of course it happens to everyone else
0: yeah and you know to be honest that's another another life skill that's not bad for students to pick up in a class like this that that understanding that what what's true for me may or may not be true for for most people and there may be times in life where my experience is just like everybody else's and there may be times in life where my experience is totally different from from most other people's Anita any other topics from chapter 1 that you wanted to 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 highlight
2: um you know i end up Wrapping up this chapter with the differences between the kinds of research, the descriptive, correlational, and experimental, and really dig deep into this, um, having students understand what a true formal experiment uh, versus... You know, quasi experiments and also correlations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the the correlational fallacy, as yet another thinking error, essentially is is mm-hmm. just something I really emphasize and the, something that they encounter in everyday life. I talk about superstitions and how superstitions. Emerge. And I talk about a, you know, I had a college roommate who was intolerable. She, well, she was generally intolerable, but particularly intolerable during final exam week because she had developed this superstition during midterms that there was a particular t shirt that was her lucky t shirt. And it was her lucky t shirt because she wore it to an exam that she was unprepared for. And passed it anyway, despite the fact that she was unprepared. So of course, it was the t shirt. And you know, students can relate to the fact that yeah, the t shirt probably didn't make her pass the course. And that's the kind you know, that that right there is a correlation does not equal causation type of situation that we encounter in everyday life. I have one brother and uh, for a Chinese person, he
2: is rather tall. <laughs> my family, you know, I'm 5'4", my mom's 5'5", five five, my dad is about 5'8", five, maybe 5'8 maybe five, and a half. And my brother, he hit a growth spurt in middle school, high school time, and he, he is now 6'2". But around the time in middle school, high school, he used to go out and, and play basketball a lot uh, with the, the neighborhood kids. And one day he came home, and my mom said to him, you are not to play basketball anymore. And he was devastated. And he said, Why? And she said, No, you just can't play. Don't question me. And finally, after asking more and more, Why? she said, Dad and I were talking. You can't, you're can't. you growing to be too tall. And it's, it's just really odd. And, and, and he just started crying. And I'm just watching this. I'm three years younger than he is. And even in elementary school, I, I thought about the situation and said, you know, this does not make sense. And even without the terminology... You know, and the phrase available to me, I understood at least that correlation does not mean causation. Right, (laughs) just because you play basketball, does that's not what causes you to be tall. But they said, "No, look at all those professional basketball players; they're all tall. You're going to end up being seven feet tall if you keep playing." (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, you know, did you ever think about what makes them good at basketball? (laughs) It might be because (laughs) they're
0: tall. Yeah, that's a great story. That's a great story. All right. I want to offer big thanks to our our two guests today, Dr. Ava Selley, who is a principal lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University, and Dr. Anita Tam, who who teaches the intro psych class at two schools in South Carolina, Clemson University and Tri-County Technical College. And thanks to all of you for listening. We hope this podcast helps you learn and appreciate the material in this chapter. Of course, you should check with your own instructor to see what's most important in your own class. And for more resources for studying this chapter, check out Launchpad at launchpadworks.com. Talk to you again soon.